Hey this is Utsav Kamboj and you're listening to the Arkia podcast. This podcast is for students, employees and entrepreneurs from architecture and design backgrounds who are passionate about their work and want to make an impact. In this episode I am in conversation with Ankur Choksi, design principal at Studio Lotus. Hello sir, welcome to this live session. Hi, hi. Hi, how are you? I'm doing good. Absolutely, thank you. How are you doing in this lockdown situation? Yeah, we all coping with it. I think we are doing <laughs> fine. There's a Yeah, initially it was problematic but now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So Studio Lotus is a big firm with creative heads from coming from all over the country. Uh, please walk us through your uh, process. How does the firm uh, work culture and everything looks like? Uh, so yeah, uh, if you uh, we are about seventy people strong now, so it is a big firm. But the uh, you know the uh, aspiration always has been to run it like a small studio. So. Uh, yeah i've been at it building a culture which allows for people to work in small teams be very hands on so that they really have a grip over you know how to run the how business of design yeah. i mean how to run a practice all the way so that's been one of the key things uh, the way we've organized ourselves the way we've kind of chosen to um, operate and uh, allow for the teams to kind of plug in at every level right so uh, i would say uh, mostly it's driven uh, from the uh, perspective of you know people who are really passionate to learn grow uh, and uh, we kind of the culture fosters that uh, and allows for people to be nurtured people to really find the best selves so it is it is uh, in a way it's a very uh, it's an environment that's very challenging at times uh, you get pushed a lot uh the community the way the people kind of uh, tend to push each other a lot and as leaders we push every young uh, you know person who joins the studio a lot but uh, at the end of the day the idea is that everybody gets to move uh, so people who are really passionate to learn grow and be a better self and uh, better uh, version of themselves you know like kind of uh, as they get deep into the practice so that, that's what the culture allows for and there's a lot of transparency i would say there's a lot of fun so on party nights you even interns get to do snake dances with the principals when you are you doing stuff so uh, yeah so when an intern comes in or a trainee comes in they directly get to jump into sharing the ideas and brainstorming sessions starting there to you know as you grow up you start taking more and more accountability so the business uh, books are also fairly transparent so the young leaders get to jump into really understanding what it means so long time back we started this conversation about you know prof- what profitability means you know usually in a design school you are not really taught to look at that aspect no, no. so that's but that's something we've all learned the hard way that it's a very important part of the financial viability of a um, outfit right so everybody gets into it slowly uh but it, it's a, a big step uh, in the studio where everybody takes a lot of accountability for how they run the projects how efficiently are they doing it and uh, of course uh, the focus always is on innovation because i mean that's what people come to us for so yeah 
right yeah. so from uh, macro planning to the tiniest of details how does a medium scale project usually uh, take shape in your firm uh so one of the critical steps to start with is actually we we uh, spend a lot of time on the client's brief uh we think a lot about uh, in fact before the answer we we try and see what are the questions that we could ask which will help us dive deep into the problem statement or the challenges that the client's facing and what his real understanding of the outcome is whether we can bring more clarity to that uh, uh put a different perspective to it so that the journey can be kind of uh, be tweaked accordingly and then we chart out a path for how the design process will go or what are the different milestones or kind of steps that we will look at in the process uh we very aggressively uh kind of pursue this idea of prototyping so you know for us it has always been uh, the notion that uh, you know there's this notion that uh, design kind of gets achieved out of a one wow idea and that, that's something that's never kind of uh, excited us so to say like we've never pursued that one thought and said that okay this is it if we can get to it so it's always been incremental so we we kind of carve the intent out at the beginning of the project saying that this is where we would like the project to get to or this is the outcome we like to get to and then keep kind of uh, at it and slowly allow for it to emerge so that that also gives us a lot of room to experiment explore and so you know there's never a final drawing that's kind of drafted out fully so it's painful <laughs> it's painful for everybody involved <laughs> even the clients find it painful at times because of uh, there are decisions to be made on the run on the fly kind of so uh, you know constantly you're tweaking things uh, we become a lot better at it uh, but it is uh, i would say relatively more time consuming and uh, much more intense as a design exercise but it's far more enjoyable because you really get to see what's evolving and you have more control over the outcome yeah right and uh, so I, Yeah sorry. <laughs> so when we talk about working with clients one of the common problems is that we as architects are more focused on the environmental impact we are focused on the user we are focused on the spatial design and a uh, client is mostly worried about money so what is your take on this and how do you think budding architects and designers who just started practicing how do you think they can handle the situation like this? <laughs> uh so i think the best way to look at it is it's, it's like the two sides of a coin so you can't separate one from the other so yeah i mean you might consider every design parameter uh but finally you know it has to speak into what the business outcomes are for the client and at times yeah it, they are primarily driven by profitability or you might call it monetary gains so there would be a whole bunch of things it would be visibility it will be success of the project but all of that uh always has to be kind of kept on the in the radar and as a focus i mean that's something that we've uh, learned because as designers as young designers and young practitioners you tend to get lost uh in your own process and in your own ideas and you you lose track of you know what the client is really uh, has come to you for so that's something that uh, we keep uh, kind of building on as we go ahead and we keep asking the uh, client that this is what uh, you know value you are going to get out of 
these kind of steps that we take in the process. So there's always a balance. You, you're trying to balance out uh, what design parameters you will engage with because on every project, you can't swing everything, right? So there's, there's always this uh, thing that you need to make some prioritization. You have to make choices on the way. Uh, but the choices are informed by what value you can generate for the client and what is the value he's seeking. So depending on the client's brief, uh, there's always that uh, that hot kind of or a sweet spot that you can find with the client and kind of then gun for it so that, you know, you are uh, meeting his expectations of managing to go beyond what he expected out of that project. So, yeah, that's something right. to be really kept in mind. Yeah. Right, right. So uh, your firm has also worked with a lot of uh, brands from a lot of backgrounds. So how does uh, that differ from uh, regular projects and uh, how does this uh, work? I mean, who narrates who and how does this creative narration work in terms of architecture? So, uh, I mean, this idea of brand itself is, uh, you know, what a brand does is it, it sells you a story. Or basically, it's uh, kind of enrolling you into a story that uh, the brand builds around itself, right? So uh, ever since we've been practicing, this is one of the uh, uh, parameters of using, uh, one of the parameters that we engage with in our design process uh, very fondly, which is narrative building. You know, this idea of narrative building for everything that we do. So we are constantly trying to look at uh, what is the story that the project can take along and uh, how will it add more than what the client has set out? Like, for example, uh, I mean, you take, uh, since you had mentioned, in, you take Krishi Bhavan, like, you know, the client came to us saying that it's an iconic project that needs to be built. And uh, we've obviously looked at all the parameters, which are the spatial parameters. And we very kind of uh, sensitively also looked at what, local context and local materials and energy kind of right. uh, systems can do for the building. But there was this uh, slightly larger conversation that we had uh, with the government body saying that the iconic building can do multiple things. And one of the things it can do is also uh, create a new way of looking at government buildings where they are much more open, much more porous. They are not like completely cut off from the people they are serving and uh, start talking to the uh, the farmers start kind of engaging with crafts in the country because the government is a great patron you know to promote craft in our country and it was a huge opportunity so somewhere this whole um, thought kind of allowed for krishi bhavan to become that iconic so to say it, it is like brand orissa for the government at this point, you know, where it's kind of representing what the new Orissa stands for. So it's allowed for that whole build up to happen. And that narratives really help them uh, look at the building in a very different way. Uh, or say you uh, um, look at uh, an alternate idea of uh, what we did at Trees uh, at Godrej, uh, which is uh, another interesting way of looking at buildings in our country where you know there are lots of old structures which are being demolished and there's a huge amount of like you know there's a huge amount of waste that gets generated out of bringing down old structures so one of the thoughts and this came to us from a developer so we were quite excited i mean most developers usually like we're just pointing out are only looking at <laughs> yeah. profitability and monetary gains 
Right. And somewhere here, they they wanted to do something like a give back to the city. They wanted to create a narrative about what the brand really values and what's the ethos of the brand. And they wanted to set up a benchmark for the kind of projects they would like to do in the city. Uh, and they have a, a internal design studio uh, which they have established to especially kind of guard the design custodianship of their projects and what they're up to. So uh, in that project, we kind of helped them. Retain some of the old buildings from the factory premises of Godrej. Uh, bring in that whole legacy layer. Re-purpose the buildings. Give it a new architectural narrative, which would help them relive into the next thirty, forty years, where they are building a new uh, multi-purpose uh, or rather a mixed-use kind of colony, uh, where there are residential towers, there are commercial towers, and this is going to become like a hub where people will come hang out. So uh, it's helped them establish. Uh, I would say again, it's a building that helps tell a story, and in a way, establish the brand which Godrej uh, wanted to set itself out as. So um, yeah, there are different ways of doing it, and narratives very strongly help you do it, especially in architecture as well. So uh, that's something that we've been really enjoying uh, exploring this aspect. So in all of your interior projects specifically, uh, the details and the craft, all of the all of these small elements, the details, the craft, and all the elements are working together as a family, like as if they're a family. So what is your theory behind making these work together, and how do you execute these on site? Uh, so usually, uh, in terms of how they work together. it kind of emerges from the brief so obviously there is a thread that's kind of mapped out uh, initially which says that this is what uh, everything needs to speak into and uh, co-create uh, but uh, some of the uh, key things that uh, as uh, you would have seen from a lot of our work where we uh, we focus a lot on materials we focus a lot on you know authenticity of methods and materials that we use we kind of draw a lot from uh, local techniques and uh, uh, skills that we have around us so that that's something that's been of uh, uh, that brings a lot of joy to all of us to work with crafts and you know engage with local um, artisanal skills that are far more kind of easily accessible in our country than they are around the globe so that gives you that little uh, edge and it also uh, engages us with people uh, at different levels so uh, that's something uh, that we really bring forth in all our projects we uh, we think about all our stakeholders and how the journey can be made exciting for each person so in each project there's something or the other we are trying out and we're trying to engage so in some projects we're really kind of exploring this aspect of energy on a recent project uh, for a development in the hills we extensively kind of uh, engaged with a landscape uh, and an environmental architect uh, who helped us kind of heal the land before even construction began at so you know for a year all that was done at site was new plantation uh, about 100 150 check dams were built on the site on a you know it's a, a hillside with a lot of uh, uh, steep slopes so uh, because of the uh, the way the hill or the land had been kind of kept 
there was no way to retain water so the water table had really dropped so all of that uh, kind of helped revive the hill before we even got to the construction stage so uh, so yeah for each project uh, we pick on different aspects and pursue them uh, rather than uh, so we it kind of uh, uh, comes from a broad set of values that we move by which, which we are excited about so we we really try and go deep into the context we respect uh, the stakeholders including our planet and you know all the resources that we are working with so uh, these become uh, our primary parameters and then of course we follow a standard uh, process of design where you get into creating a concept and then you de develop it you do a lot of prototyping and uh, then move with a final kind of answer that we are all happy and aligned about so yeah yeah like we were just talking about godrej the, the adaptive reuse project uh, how do you, how much necessary is it uh, for to keep the old vibe and the soul of the place alive which is fading away right now it's like uh, indian architecture doesn't reflect that but how important do you think it is to keep that soul of that space or soul of that uh, whole area alive through the architecture that we are creating now so uh i would say it is important to the degree that uh, the project demands so uh, for example in trees uh, the idea was to tell the story of what existed on the premise for the new residents who would come in and uh, be part of that space so uh, that's why uh, the buildings were kind of retained and there was a certain amount of story uh, that was woven into it about godrej and what happened uh, what existed on that site uh, however the new buildings the way we had looked at it was uh, there were only the, the principles of you know how the building would age and uh, we wanted to create uh, retain the industrial story uh, uh, intact so we we kind of worked with a material palette that would help uh, retain that for the building but otherwise if you see in terms of programmatic use the way it was planned the way the uh, the details were inserted uh, they were very relevant to the need of the uh, the time today so they wanted the portions of the building to open up into the central atrium or the central plaza uh, so there were large pivoting doors which would allow for a seamless flow from inside out uh, the, the entire internal experience was very sculptural and uh, the interior fit out was done in a way which was very contemporary and uh, in line with uh, the perception of you know what a premium uh, experience today would mean to people so it it uh, the, the idea is to use uh, the old to tell new stories and to make it more relevant for life today so yeah i mean to that extent uh, we always try to bring uh, bring it to life for things that are happening you know how people are living working and spending time together today rather than you know like getting stuck with a nostalgic thematic kind of uh, expression so yeah all right uh if anybody Fantastic. wants to ask sir any question this is the right time to shoot your question <laughs> yeah Let's that'll be nice to it. get some yeah there was a lot of excitement when i announced this live session and 
I was flooded with messages actually that you know please ask him this for me please ask him that for me and I have sort of covered everything <laughs> here only. So let's just wait uh, for everybody to shoot the questions. What's the thought behind Baradari Jaipur? Yeah. So uh, I don't know, Ankit, if uh, you how much you've been able to. Uh, look at the project in detail uh, but uh, basically we were uh, asked by the uh, princess and uh, the trust the jaipur museum trust to actually help them revitalize the cafe uh, so that it creates a new connect with the local residents and uh, apart from the tourists you know so right now the uh, the only uh, footfall that uh, was there in the premise of the museum grounds is all the tourists who come in to look at the museum and the palace. So uh, the idea was to connect the city back to the palace grounds and use the cafe as a medium. And they wanted to elevate the experience of the cafe. So uh, the cafe at the point when we uh, came into the picture was serving regular chai, samosa and some basic sandwiches. And they wanted to really push up the menu create a uh, like a much more uh, premium FNB experience uh, that could become aspirational for the local Jaipur community to come and engage with. And one of the uh, key starting points in the exercise was uh, we got them convinced uh, on removing an old bathroom block, which was actually uh, disconnecting the entrance courtyard to the palace grounds uh, to the courtyard of the cafe. And we replaced that space, uh, uh, that block with a new anchoring device, which is uh, why it's called the Baradari, because that, that is a new kind of contemporary expression of an old uh, 12 column structure, uh, popularly called the Baradari. So it's, it's basically because of the 12 gates. Uh, so a pavilion which has 12 kind of openings uh, was, re uh, was reinterpreted in uh, a stone and metal kind of uh, expression which is uh, in its expression and in its uh, detailing very contemporary but still borrows from the local materials so we mo mostly worked with uh, stone that's been acquired from the region near, uh, from around jaipur uh, all the interventions in fact all the floors and uh, there's a lot of furniture that's been made in uh, stone there's a lot of uh, metal and woven furniture that's been brought in uh, so we, we tried working with uh, local skills for all the new layers that we brought in and reinterpreted them. Uh, and uh, what we one of the key things that we did as a uh, gesture, architectural gesture for the entire space was we removed uh, a lot of the plastered surfaces which were hand painted because we realized that the skill for frescoes had kind of... Uh, has diminished over the years uh, in terms of you know the quality of uh, workmanship and what they've been doing over the last uh, many years was uh, just kind of working with paint and uh, uh, not recreating the uh, frescoes as they used to exi exist like long time uh, ago so all the frescoes had a very poor quality so we chose to kind of let go of it and uh, create a blank backdrop uh, so in a way a very uh, textured monochromatic backdrop was created out of the built structure by revealing the construct of the, uh, the old structures, which is basically the stone masonry work. 
and that gave us a, a new playground to play against you know so all our new elements could sit and become more vibrant so that's when we inserted the patterns in the floor and uh, the little details that we brought in in terms of lamps and uh, other accessorization that we did for the space so yeah all right uh, one Another question we got is how is design going to change after this COVID situation? <laughs> uh, I think it's going to change in a, a lot of ways. Uh, probably uh, one of the uh, key things that uh, we will see is. Uh, uh, how do we say? How we define so least, spaces uh, is going to change, yeah. Sorry? How we perceive spaces is going to change. Earlier it was just that people used to just go How we perceive how we use change. spaces and yeah, like uh, for example, I mean, uh, the idea of uh, density will probably change, the idea of the way yeah. people uh, use spaces on a regular basis is kind of going to change because, you know, uh, people have gotten out of the uh, notion of that everything needs to be done physically. So uh, probably, uh, I think uh, people are going to make a lot of uh, choices around the way they spend their time, uh, the time on commute, the time uh, of, so basically, hopefully and probably it will kind of uh, make things a lot more efficient in terms of how you use your time for a lot of people and design probably will have a huge role to play. And uh, somewhere that's what's been happening in the digital medium already. Like if you see the, the, the way the software is kind of geared up, they, they are helping you kind of use your time wisely and effectively more and more. So uh, in, in a way, that's going to start translating for all experiences and as we live life. Uh, and uh, ultimately, it, it should help elevate the quality of life for everyone. Yeah. Right. We had one question about your uh, project. Where did that go? In reference to your Godrej project, where you retain its originality, how you relate this in terms of designing a smart city? What all parameters would you consider if you were to design what? So, uh, I, I think you probably. Uh, so, uh, I think one of the things that I didn't mention uh, as part of the brief that uh, the clients gave us when we were doing uh, the Godrej, uh, we actually uh, were given a mandate to try and see if that edge of the property could be open up to the public where uh, people from Mumbai could come and engage with the uh, development and uh, it would become uh, in a way like a seamless connect to the city uh, and that that was their way of giving back to the uh, city and uh, more and more i think uh, the thing that's going to be uh, demanded by citizens or people is this idea of public space which is usually missing in our cities so uh, I think that uh, all developers and all people in that capacity have a huge opportunity to start creating more, more and more give backs to the city and start developing for larger communities to enjoy spaces rather than creating silos and, you know, uh, cutting them down into colonies and contained areas, which, uh, we are, which are kind of uh, 
depriving a lot of people of access and access to the best facilities in the city and yeah all right all right <clears throat> thank you so much sir for joining us today we had a really great session thank you so much for enlightening us with thank these you. nice sessions yeah uh, it has been a really great conversation thank you thank you all it right. was wonderful thank you so much yeah thank yeah. you so much okay great thanks bye bye, bye. bye. Thank you.